trucks to get to this farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. They threw me in an old van, closed the curtains when I got off the plane, put my head down, put a blanket over me, and, and, and drove all around the place to lose the cops. They got me out in the middle of nowhere. They, they, you know, they ran me into the building, and they said, now do, whatever you do, do not climb up on this wall and look out. We, they, you know, if, they, if anybody spots a white face over the, you know, it's not good. So these people trickled in over two or three days. By the time it was all done, there were 100 young people, mostly young people there. The older people were only in their 40s and 50s because all the other believers had been killed. The people in their 40s and 50s, the average stay in the, in the prison was 15 years. Oh, so you want to be a leader? You know? Now, they worshiped for two hours starting at 5 in the morning with no instruments, no sound systems in this, in this room, packed jam with people. And the power of God, I couldn't barely stand up. They then asked me to teach, and they sit on a little bench, and they had a little paper, and some of them had Bibles, some of them didn't, and they all had little pencils and pens. And they listened to my teaching as though God were talking. I was not used to that kind of audience. I was been in America, where what I was saying was take it or leave it. Now, every preacher prays as though you've got to speak the word of the Lord. I've never had anybody treat me as though I was speaking the word of the Lord. It was always optional, take it or leave it, whatever. You know what I mean? These people, they were hearing from God. It was the most terrifying experience of my life because they were way more ahead of me in terms of martyrdom than I was. And as I spoke, I would teach them the word of God and they would begin to weep because God was talking to them. And they go, we never heard this. And so they would take time. They stop, stop, stop. We must repent. We must repent. And they would like literally wail and repent and ask God to input into their spirit what I was saying. They'd never heard about the Father heart of God. They never heard about the affection of Christ Jesus. They were workers for Jesus. They didn't know sonship. I'm sitting there literally laying foundations. They never really understood the kingdom of God. I'm laying foundations, and they're taking notes. And you know why? Because after this is all over, they're going to take a bicycle, take a bus, or walk through cornfields or pat and rice paddies and with twos and threes and go into these remote villages in China and share with the people what I just shared with them. So they can't miss a word because other people's lives are at stake. They fully intended on reproducing in other people what God was giving them. Because they, they, the fact that they could hear a teacher, an apostolic teacher, lay open the word of God, to them was none of their other people were going to get this. So they were responsible to take every word, every thought, and take it out into the nation. I've never heard active listening like that ever in my life. It was the most humble thing I've ever seen. Now, I don't care how many people are in this room. One Anthony is enough to make this thing whole. You know, one, one thing that happened to Jason last night, we could have called this whole thing off. But the fact is, every one of you in this room have an apostolicity about you. You have a, you have a calling on you. And we've got to get this religious American passivity off of us, this crappy... You know, we're just, we're just overloaded with messages, consumer messages, and we don't understand that we have a responsibility to give our lives and pour our lives out to other people in the nation. So guess what? We went day in and day out in the sweltering heat. They would go 12 hours a day. I mean, I was like wrung out, and then I'd sleep on a little grass mat on a board, and the bathroom was a hole in the, in the floor. 
And I was, in, I was having the time of my life. I've never touched more heaven than that moment in my life. And that's what was the, that is the incentive behind the Rock Tribe. That is, the, that is the basis, that is the foundation of who we are, is take the Jesus to the nations because they haven't heard. Now, Norm's going to come up here and share, but I want you to act like you're apostles that have to make disciples that could start a little twos and threes, which is the seed of a little, that's a little micro church. Okay? So come on up here, Norm. That, that is, this is who you are. I'm going to pray Norm has an apostolic grace on him to lay foundations that, will, that you can rest your life in and move forward in. So, Father, we just say, blessed is he in the name that comes in the name of the Lord. Release your word to us through Norm. In Jesus' name, amen. here in Kansas City, a place where the Seahawks win all the time, so we're grateful for that. Uh, <laughs> have you ever had one of those, just those aha moments where you, you finally figured out how it's supposed to work and things came together and it, uh, it worked the way that it's supposed to work and uh, did what it was supposed to do, or somebody came and turned the picture right side up, and you said, oh, that's how it's supposed to look. Uh, I think the, the kingdom of God is one of those moments. Uh, the kingdom of God is meant to come and, and put things right. It, it's meant to, to order. It, it's meant to bring a context that the context thing finds its place, and it comes to, to be the way that it's to be, look the way that it's supposed to look, and perhaps importantly, do what it's supposed to do. Uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The problem is most of the church world heard domain. And they said that the domain is not of this world, it's age to come, so we put the kingdom off to another age, it's going to be in heaven, where it wasn't domain of the kingdom that he was referring to. It was the dimension of the kingdom. It was the source of the kingdom. He was trying to communicate that the kingdom of this world is not of this earth's dimension, so we must learn to live trans-dimensional. We must learn to, to be those that know how to come in and out of dimensions, and in those know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, what it's supposed to look like, and how it's supposed to function. Now, the Bible says first the natural, then the spiritual. Perhaps all this fuss about transgender has nothing to do with gender and has everything to do with trans. In other words, we're, we're making the focus on, on genders and God's saying, I'm trying to get your attention so that you understand this has nothing to do with genders. It has everything to do with being transdimensional. It has everything to do with, with knowing how to be in this world, but not of the world. But we've made it of the world and not in the world. Now, we've got the picture completely upside down. 
And the Holy Spirit is using the natural to try to get our attention to say, it's not about genders, it's about understanding there's a whole dimension out there that God is waiting for us to, to go into and learn how to live in that dimension that we can be in this world but not of the world, in the world but not limited to the world, in the world but functioning on a, on a source and a power that is of another dimension. Some of you heard me share a few months ago, we were in Florence last summer and we were, we were on one side of the Arno trying to get to the other side. So we, we, we were going down one side, we crossed over, and we were trying to get to the place that, that we were living and we, we, we moved up the river and realized that we had come to a dead end so we had to go back over the river again. We came back, went back over, long story short, we, we traveled from one side of the river to the other side of the river without going over the river. In other words, we got transported. We did a, about a three-mile drive over the river in about one second without traveling over a bridge. And I've been to Florence probably 15 times. I, I know Florence well, and my wife knows it well. We both looked at each other and said, what in the world just took place? We just got transported. Now, you know, I was thinking, you know, someone was going to knock on our car window and say, what do I do to be saved? You know, some, some great, incredible thing was going to take place, and it didn't. And I, I asked the Lord, Lord, what was that all about? And he said, I did it just to show you that I still can. I did it to show you that you should. In other words, th- this whole transdimensional living is, is, is something that is supposed to be who we are. It's supposed to be what we do. We see it in the scripture. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. He comes out of the water and he's in another city. There was no Uber. You know, there was no other, other way to get in. He just got transported. And, and we read these things as historic events rather than examples as to how we're supposed to live. So God is getting our attention to say that we're not meant to be one-dimensional. We're meant to be those that know how to go in and out of dimensions. Now, the problem with a dimension is you have to die to get there. So Jesus said that unless you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So to get into the dimension of the kingdom, the, the, the dimension is reserved by death. Now, within dimension are levels. We go through the levels through the disciplines. It's like school. I go to first grade to second grade through, through the disciplines. I pray more. I read more. I obey more. I do all that stuff. But then I get to 12th grade, and I realize now from 12th grade to college, that's a dimensional change. I can't get through that dimension through the disciplines. I have to get through that dimension to death. So as Lord is taking us in through the dimensions, he's allowing these these crucified moments to come into our life, not to punish us, but to prepare us for dimensions. So as we're moving out of the prophetic dimensions and the apostolic dimensions and the heavenly dimensions and the spiritual dimensions, he's allowing things to come into our life that deal that death blow into our life so that he can bring us into the dimensions and train us what it, what it means to live in another dimension when we're in it but not of it.
So what I believe God wants to, to do today is to, to take us back to before. Back to before time, back to before birth, back to before our, our memory gets still in our history. So if origin determines outcome, we've got to learn to go back to our origin. We're, we're pretty good in going back to pain. We're pretty good in going back to bad memories. We're, we're pretty good in going back to, to circumstances. And then people say, well, we'll quit going back. The, the problem isn't going back. The problem is not going back far enough. So we've got to go back past circumstance. We've we got to go past the pain that happened all the way back to before time, before circumstance, before situation, back to, to before um, birth to creation. Back to that dimension that existed before the foundations of the earth where God knew us, He formed us, He commissioned us, and He appointed us. We quoted it last night, Ephesians 1, 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of time. Ephesians 2, 10, we are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand. Now, as it turns out, you really are a piece of work. Now, it seems pretty clear from Scripture there's a, a big difference between my, my birth date and my creation. Our mothers birthed us. Our Heavenly Father's, Father created us. So my mother birthed me on October 21st, 1954. My Heavenly Father created me before the foundation of the world. The problem is I, I keep limiting myself to my birth for my identity. When the Lord says, no, you've got to go back to your creation for your identity. If we allow our birth to limit us, then we're living within the limitations of this dimension where if we can go back to creation, then we live, learn to live by the power of another dimension. So consequently, my, my value is not determined by my birth, it's determined by my ownership. My purpose in the kingdom is not determined by my birth, it's determined by my creation. So in Christ, my, my history supersedes my memory. My history in Christ, it, it works for me even when my memory has no recollection. So what we saw take place last night was, was Jason's history working on his behalf. So in, in eternity past, God knew him, he formed him, he appointed him, he consecrated him, and, and last night, time intersected eternity, and that commission got released. So that, that history... That history has been working on his behalf all throughout time. When he was in that blind, when you were smoking weed and you were doing all the other stuff, you seemed as far from your, your history as you possibly could be. Yet that history was working. It was incubating. It was doing what it was supposed to do, waiting for such a time as this. 
Now, when Esther had that, that such a time as this moment, it simply means that, that her history somehow intersected with time. And she came to that realization that a, a dimension opened to her and she realized, I'm not limited to, to this dimension that I can see. Something is being released right now that was appointed from the foundation of time. It's just now manifesting and releasing the treasure is being liberated in time. So in the kingdom, our our genesis defines our destiny, not the limitation of our birth. Our genesis defines our destiny, not the limitation of our birth. And what I mean by that is by birth, Moses was a stutterer. But by creation, he was a deliverer. So when he came in in touch with his destiny, he immediately brought up the limitation of his birth. He said, but God, I'm a stutterer. And I said, don't let the limitation of your birth define your destiny. Go all the way back to your genesis and back to that moment of creation and let creation define destiny, not birth. By birth, Peter was sifting sands. And then Jesus comes and he doesn't call forth his birth, he calls forth his creation. By birth, you're sifting sands, but by creation, you're the rock. And he calls forth his creation. And in the calling forth of his creation, Peter now had to learn to live by a superior dimension, not by the the, the surroundings of what he saw in his touch and sense and limited realm. So Jeremiah 1.5, Lord says to Jeremiah, to us, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In the world, does that mean? I mean, let's make it personal. Norm, before October 21st, 1954, I knew you. You knew me? I didn't even know myself. But you knew me, and you formed me, and you consecrated me, and you appointed me, and then for For 17 years, I did my own thing. And then 17 years later, February 12, 1972, time was invaded by creation. Now, I don't know what it means. I don't know, did did God and I hang out? I mean, did we we do things together? I, I, I think... Sometimes we think our, our creation is kind of like, you know, the pods that we saw on, on uh, what was Neo and, uh, yeah, the Matrix. You know, we're just kind of in these pods with bubbles coming up, you know. I, I, don't, I don't think it was like that. I, I think when God says, I knew you, I think he meant, I knew you. There was a, he, he stands outside of time. He, he sees the end from the beginning. He saw our end and he fellowshiped us. And now he's waiting to somehow in my spirit awaken that reality because I'm not limited by this dimension. I'm not waiting to go up to heaven. Heaven is is like, 
It's like right here. If I can just somehow peel this dimension back and, and reach in, maybe I can touch something that I experienced back then. So he formed me. He knew me. Seeing the end from the beginning, he knew my stuff. And in spite of the stuff, he loved me. He still commissioned me. He still appointed me. But, but, but Lord, what, what about what about heroin? He says, what, what about heroin? I knew, I knew all about it. It's not like God said, whoa. If I would have known that, <laughs> worship, what about the stuff I'm going to do tomorrow? What about the sin? Now, I'm not planning on sinning, but we will sin. What about the sin tomorrow? Well, if I would have known after your appointment, you would have sinned? No, he, he saw the end from the beginning. He still formed us. He still appointed us, which means no sin ever catches God by surprise. Which means we can't disqualify what God already pre-qualified. He, he qualified us. He pre-qualified us from the foundation of time. Which means then my, my, my sin two years from now, like, what is it? I, I don't, God says, I don't see that because I appointed you to be the righteousness of Christ, holy and blameless before me in love. So I sin tomorrow, still holy and blameless. So next week, still holy and blameless. Some three years from now, still holy and blameless. Because he is looking at my creation, not my birth. He's looking at his appointment, not my behavior. So in the kingdom, it's not my, my behavior that qualifies me. It's my ownership. He owns me. So it was in our coexistence with God that we get our commission for God. It was in our pre-existence with God that we got formed, commissioned, appointed. It was commissioned before creation. It was destiny before memory. And now I'm simply waiting for my memory to somehow catch up to my destiny for that aha moment for someone to come and turn the picture right side up so I understand that's what it's supposed to look like. So if we forget Yet the reality of our coexistence will marginalize the magnitude of our commission. Which simply means this. If I forget I was formed, I forget who I am. If I forget I was commissioned, I'll forget while I'm here, why I'm here. If I forget I was appointed, I will forget where I'm going. In other words, I'll live existential rather than living transdimensional. Now, if you live for the moment, anything makes sense. And that's where a lot of Christians are today, just living for the moment. We're living existential. We're living for now because we've forgotten that our being is something that goes all back here before time, before creation. And God is wanting to remind us, you're transdimensional people. The problem is sin is a narcotic of the soul that causes us to forget. 
the world, the flesh, the devil, they're, they're agents of disregard. So if we give them place, we'll give no regard to how heaven sees us. And we'll allow our birth to be what defines us. We'll forget what took place in our creation and we'll live by the limitation of our birth. We'll fixate on the dirt and never liberate the treasure. So remembering who we really are, it liberates the treasure. Seeing ourselves as heaven, it it liberates that, that treasure that's surrounded by a field of dirt. But God never bought the field for the dirt. He bought the field for the treasure. And it's an amazing verse, Psalm 23.2, in the mirror translation. It says, by the waters of reflection, my soul remembers who I am. By the waters of reflection, my soul remembers who I am. Which means that in in reflection and contemplation, we're able to go back to before and remember who we are in our created state. In reflection and contemplation, Holy Spirit is able to take us back to our commission, take us back to our forming, take us back to our appointment, take us back to our creation, and we remember who we are in that dimension rather than the limitation of this dimension. In reflection, I'm able to go up to my seat in heavenly places and see myself as heaven sees me. We remember our pre-existing purpose. In reflection, destiny and memory unite. Imagine it. God consumed with you before the foundation of time. I mean, he, he, he was so consumed with you that he waited an eternity and never forgot you. He waited an eternity and, and not only was there to, to oversee your birth, but he was there to make sure that the, the, the circumstances of life brought you to the point of surrender to where you were born again. And in that born-again state, He was able to bring you into the dimension that you were in when He formed you before. So purpose and destiny, they've been held up waiting for time to intersect creation. God's purpose for you existed before anyone's opinion of you. Even your opinion of yourself. So he calls Gideon and Gideon says, but but, but God, my opinion of myself is weak. God says, "Don't, don't let your opinion of yourself preempt your destiny. So he says to Gideon, let the weak say, I'm strong. I don't know about you, but That sounds like lying to me. (laughs) And and to be honest with you, it it is lying if if all we see is this dimension. But God is saying, no, I'm going to give you permission to go into the next dimension. Go into that next dimension. 
in that dimension, in the dimension of your creation, you're strong. In the dimension of your birth, you're weak. In the dimension of your creation, you're strong. So go into the dimension of your creation and make your declaration from that dimension, not from the limitation of this dimension. So our value to the kingdom the kingdom is not determined by our behavior, it's determined by their ownership. We see it in Luke 15. Jesus told the story of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. Now, to be lost, you first have to belong. Lost implies the reality of prior ownership. So he owned the thought of us. He he owned the plans of us. Yes, we got lost, and in our lostness, Jesus never rescinded his ownership or revoked our created purpose. And that's what's amazing to me. I, I lived 17 years lost. Grew up Catholic, had an understanding, had a had an opportunity, never seized the opportunity, but when I was unfaithful, he remained faithful. And he simply waited until time was ready to intersect destiny. Now here's the amazing thing. The lost, the coin never surrendered its value. The lost, the sheep never forfeited its ownership. The lost, the son never sacrificed his family. So in spite of our lostness, God remained faithful. The lost dollar is still a dollar. It's not like it loses its value until it's found and then it's a dollar again. Even in its lostness, the value is still working. The purpose is still active. So in the kingdom, our value is not measured by our behavior. It's determined by his ownership. An ownership that reaches all the way back to before when when somehow in some way God knew us and even in that prior knowledge still loved us, saved us, repurposed us, and declared us holy and blameless in Christ. So now October, what are we today? Eighth? Seventh? Sixth? Seventh. October 7th, 2016. He says to us, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of time. This thing that has a hold of us, and it does have a hold of us, it's not like we have a hold of it, it has a hold of us. It's been, it's been, it's been happening for eternity. From the foundation of time, it has been waiting for you. And now it has a hold of you. And in spite of all your stuff, in spite of all the limitations of your birth, the power of your creation will win out. No sin happens that Father hasn't already seen. He's seen even what we've yet to do. But what he saw then was far more powerful than what we can do now. 
And what he saw then is what continues to work, what continues to empower, what continues to release. Everything changes when we become transdimensional. Transdimensional means that we are learning to live from heaven to earth, not limiting ourselves of what we see on earth, hoping one day to get to heaven. We're discovering how we're known in heaven and living accordingly. And that's why the Bible says from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Not even ourselves. We don't see him according to the flesh. We don't see ourselves according to the flesh. We don't see each other according to the flesh. And it's why judgment is such an evil thing because judgment begins on earth and it limits someone to the limitations of their birth forgetting the power of their creation. Only in the kingdom do we discover who we really are. Only in the kingdom can we go back to before. And somehow in that reflection, in that contemplation, get reminded of what he saw and wants to release in us and our own understanding. So I'd like us to just close by just taking a moment to reflect. I'd like just close your eyes, if you would, and allow me just lead us in a, in a exercise here. I, I want us to allow our, our spirits to take us back. To take us back, allow the Holy Spirit to, to allow history to rewrite our memory. D- don't go back to your pain, don't go back to your circumstance, go all the way back to before it all. Back to when he knew you. Just picture Jesus. And if that picture of him doesn't have a smile on his face, get a new picture. Don't get a religious picture. Get get the picture where he's blessed where he's rejoicing over us with singing. That picture of him where in him we were created. And allow him to remind you that he knew you. Allow just a a sense of that relationship, that that friendship, that, that dynamic, however he's going to communicate it to you. Allow it to to awaken something in you. He knew you. He formed you. He appointed you. He consecrated you. He rejoiced over you. He celebrated you. And in that reflection, in that contemplation, as you just consider the power of that, the magnitude of it, let it remind you who you really are. A son. A daughter. Chosen. Loved. Appointed, saved from the foundation of time.
Allow that intimacy to begin to stir. Allow that intimacy to override any sense of disqualification. Allow all of the yeah buts and, and what ifs and if only he knew. He, he, he knows it all. In spite of the buts, even knowledge of the ifs, he still chose you. Still appointed you. Still commissioned you. Still birthed you, still saved you. And is now here today to liberate you. To liberate that treasure from a field of dirt. To say and speak over you that it was for the joy of discovery that he sold everything he had to liberate you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your choosing. We thank you that you've called us to be transdimensional. And we present ourselves today just to say, God, give us the grace to, to, to penetrate this dimension. To no longer be limited to it. To be able to come in and to be in this world, but not of this world. To be of that kingdom, to be of that dimension that's empowered by you. Thank you that you've given us the right to call you Abba. You've given us the right to be in your household, to live in the big house, to be called your very name. Abba, we thank you. We thank you, Abba. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for your commissioning. Thank you for your appointing. Thank you for your love. love today and allow it to preempt any limitation we would put on you, any disqualification we'd put on ourselves. Say thank you. Hello. That's about as good as it gets, peeps. That was incredible. One of the things that we've been trying to work on in the Rock Tribe is to live it from heaven to earth. We've been taking people through a a teaching called Game Changers by Graham Cook. And Norm doesn't come by this thing the easy way. Talk about, it was death that brought him into new dimensions of the Lord, and it was devastating death. And so he's, he's not talking as an academic person. He's talking as an experiential son. And I would like all of you to go over this several times, including some of you that are, that are definitely here in the Rock, Kansas City. I definitely want Michael and Kim and Craig and Nancy and 
Shelly and Laura and, you know, Jason and Sarah and all you other guys, if I didn't mention you, all of you other guys in the Rock, the Rock Tribe, definitely you've got to listen to this because what happens is when you start living in this other dimension, people think you're crazy. And the devil will, will do everything to keep you from living from the dimension of the unseen to bring the unseen to the seen realm. I mean, all hell will break against you from operating as a son in the spirit. And he will throw up your past at you. He will accuse you. He will, he will remind you. And so when Norm laid that out, like you are, you are an eternal being, not defined, you know, by the natural, do you understand the implications of that? Like that's, that's how we're going to bring the, the kingdom to the earth. So Mike Bickle and I were friends for a long time. I was 19, he was 18. We walked together as buddies. And then we connected with Mike. Um, I basically tried to bring the unseen realm to the seen realm in a denominational church. Didn't go over real big. But it was God's way of jettisoning me into a new dimension of journey. So Mike and I hooked up. We sold everything, gave it away, whatever, and moved into some duplexes. And we went on a journey. And you know what? It was around one prophecy that I'm going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in this generation. Well, it, was a, it was a prophecy that we, I'd heard, that Mike had heard, and there was an umbrella over us that says everything, when he, God uses the word change, he doesn't mean tweak. He doesn't mean go back in history. And, the, and a great part of that, of walking into that prophecy is what Norm just preached is that we, we live from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. And we can't, it's not a, it's not just revival history that God's going to re, re, uh, repeat. We pray a lot in a room, the big swoosh comes, and then we're, you know, it's over. That is not what's happening. It's sons of God walking the planet as new creation beings who bring heaven to earth. And they love each other supernaturally. And they love, and they can bring the kingdom in everywhere they go. So it's a huge connection to the unseen realm. It's a tremendous supernatural connection with each other that's covenantal. They don't break, they don't break relationship out of an offense because they, they model what Christ is like. You don't amputate your body because you get hurt. That's kind of, that's, that's literally insanity. Division is insanity. It's the dumbest thing you can do. And so then in unity... We bring the kingdom in every part of life. And the Lord had us come down to this place and walk around and decree and declare over uh, prostitute-infected lots with needles and prophylactics and everything. You know, just declare that is a, that is a garden. That house, which is a drug house, is a, it's a discipleship. And we began to take authority over the seen realm. And the enemy would always like to remind us how bad the scene realm is. Guns would go off. Gangbangers would drive by. Right out in front of that street, Nancy and Laura witnessed shootings and blood in the street. And I thought, you know, this is it. She's going to be scared away from her post and her destiny. And she almost was, but she came back. What had you not, what had happened if, if the enemy would have intimidated out of position? See, the enemy wants to remind you of how bad things are. Oh, Italy, you know, nobody knows all that. It's like, so what? This is a nation that's, God, that's God's. 
like we walk as sons, we're not going to be defined by religion. We're going to bring the kingdom in a very Catholic embedded, you know, secular, demonized culture. So what? That's not going to stop us because we're sons of God. So you understand that, that the change, that we're, we're in a prophetic epic storyline right now. There's no, you're not in this room by accident. And God is rebooting this place under this revelation. And the role of the prophetic, which that was prophetic. What, what you just saw was, the, uh, was prophetic teaching. That's why we need the prophetic. The prophetic constantly pulls the unseen into the seen realm. And they said, no, you're not going to do this programmatically. No, you're not going to do this. You know, you're going to live from heaven to earth. That's really the role of the prophetic. Then the apostolic mobilizes that which we see from the unseen to the seen. It administrates or coordinates that what the prophetic releases. That's why we, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You tracking with me? Now today is a holy day. This is a holy weekend, even for Kansas City. Somebody just sent me the blueprint prophecy. It's a prophecy over Kansas City. And I sent it to some of you guys. It's a huge prophecy that we're a part of. And it's not just Kansas City. I heard a prophet say Kansas City was like a capital city in the spirit world. It is kind of like a Mecca in the spirit world, even though it's got all kinds of trouble here. What you just heard has profound implications for you. And a lot of times, the Lord likes to wake and wait till we're shriveled up with a natural inability to reproduce. The Lord likes to do something really crazy like Sarah is now not doing what women do in order to have babies. Did you catch that? I mean, do I have to explain the biology of this? Okay, thank you. And God loves to, to, to make the backdrop of his promises the impossible. He, he just loves that. Like, oh, this is really bad. This is really awful. You know why? To, show, to showcase his glory. So you can't be defined by the natural and by your natural birth. This, that, that was so profound. I'm going to listen to it about five or six times as soon as I can.